Well, hello again. Uh, just a few announcements. First of all, uh, Terry's not here today. And uh, my name is Daniel. I, uh, I work with the youth. And uh, I'm here every Wednesday night. I know you don't see me, but I am here. I'm not lying to you. I'm just always next door uh, working over there. And uh, I have so much fun with them. And uh, they give me a hard time, but I, I kind of stand my ground with them as well. But quick announcement. Um, this week, we have our golf tournament coming up. Uh, well, not this week. I should say next week. I'm sorry. Uh, not this coming Friday, but the following. I can't believe it. We have about almost 30 teams. And so I'm going to beat every one of you. I'm just kidding. I'm not. I am not. I'm going out there to have fun. It's a fundraiser for the youth. Um, just wanted to let you know, if you did sign up and you are participating in that, um, we need to get those final payments in. Um, tomorrow, I need to call the golf course and give them a final count. And so we're going to let them know how many teams uh, we have. Also, if you would care to donate towards that, um, all the proceeds go to getting the youth group to summer camp, which we will be doing this summer at the end of July. Um, and so if you have any questions about that, please uh, let me know. Also, next Wednesday night, Terry will be here, God willing. However, it's going to be a graduation night. And so what that means is we want to invite anybody who is graduating high school uh, or college. I don't think kindergarten counts, um, but high school or college. Um, and what we want to do is just honor them, recognize them. Um, there's a sign-up sheet for that in the back. And Terry will um, give a brief message, I believe, but the, the important thing as well is that there's going to be food. And there's going to be food and fellowship. And so just next week, if you can kind of just remember, um, it's going to be something a little different uh, next Wednesday. With that said, um, if you have your Bible, could you please open it to Exodus chapter 20? We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20 today. I've titled this message... Um, God and him alone. God and him alone. So Exodus, you'll find that the second book, the very second book in your Bible. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you, um, you are the true God, the one and only God. There is no one who comes close to you in power, in might. Lord, you are the only one who created the heavens and the earth. You're the only one who is eternal. You're the only one who was not created. On the contrary, you created everything and everyone else. And Lord, that you would love us, that you would display that love in, in dying for us and, and giving us so many guidelines Lord, it's, it's amazing to see how much you truly care for us, how much you truly love us. And so we seek to uh, just get a little bit more from your word tonight, God, that we would learn more about you, learn more about what you require of us. And uh, Lord, we sit at your feet here tonight. We pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 2013... A gentleman by the name of Robert West wrote this paragraph. And just think, 10 years ago, he said this. In our day, society's moral boundaries are being moved. Our nation is returned to the lifestyle of the days of judges when, quote-unquote, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. For many, the Ten Commandments have become the Ten Opinions. Violating and mocking God's law has become so common that Hollywood makes it a form of entertainment. Politicians add to the decay by legalizing sin. But the Ten Commandments, written in stone, stand as the anchor for morality by revealing God's standard regarding right and wrong. The church, as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, must never waver. Can you believe that that was written 10 years ago? 
and how much that applies even more so today. How our world, how our society, how our country has just strayed and gone so far from God, so far from caring about what God has to say. And it's become uh, so normal, if you will. And it's so unfortunate that it has become that. Understand that that is to no fault of God. That is not God's fault in any way, shape, or form. On the contrary, God has given to us instructions, a manual, if you will, hasn't he? I often like to remember the Bible as basic instructions before leaving earth. You all ever heard that before? Yeah, basic instructions before leaving earth. God made us. God created the heavens and the earth. He created the the natural laws that exist in this world in which we live. We have sayings such as what goes around comes around. But nothing so unique as God's words and God's commandments. They truly are written by God. They truly are inspired by him. And they give us understanding to have true eternal life. A few interesting things about the Old Testament law. More than 600 laws were received from God. There were 248 laws that were positive. Do this, do that. There were 365 laws that were negative, such as don't do this, do not steal, do not kill, or do not commit adultery. Of all those, we can say that God broke it down and he made the top 10. Right? And we know them as what? The Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, we have a list of the Ten Commandments. Now, when Jesus was asked what the greatest of all the commandments were, he answered with this statement. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And he said all the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commands. Now, If you were to look at the Ten Commandments and break them down, the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments have to do with our love, our relationship towards God. It's vertical. All right? So the first four commandments of the Ten have to do with our vertical relationship with God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols and worship them. You shall be careful not use the Lord's name in vain, and you should remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. All of those, the first four, have to do with relationship, your relationship with God. The last six have to do with our relationship with the world around us, right? We should honor your mother and your father. You should not kill. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal so on and so forth, all having to do with the horizontal relationships. Now, you may be tempted to think that the Ten Commandments are harsh. The world might say, man, that's no fun. God just takes away all the fun. But really, the fact that he gave us the law, it's actually an act of kindness that he did because, listen to this, the outcome of sin is always disastrous. Never will you see sin not end in disaster. Sooner or later, sin is going to end in disaster. God told Moses this, Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And so God had very good intentions. He's saying, look, I'm giving you these instructions to keep you from heartache, to keep you from disaster, to keep you from eventually what will happen if you do commit these sins. And so what I want to point out to us, what I want us to see here tonight is four things in the first two commandments that we're going to look at today. First of all, we're going to see who is giving the commandment. Second of all, we're going to see that there are no other gods Third, we're going to see how we are to worship God. And fourth, we're going to apply that to to today. How are we to worship God 
today. And so read with me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And let's stop right there. The first thing we want to point out is who's speaking here, because depending on who's speaking, it carries, it, it determines the weightiness of what is said, okay? First of all, he says, I am the Lord, your God. The Lord is God's official name, or I guess the name that the Jews refer to him as, Yahweh. I am Yahweh, and he says, I am the Lord, your God. He makes it personal. I am the God, the true one, your God. Right? So first of all, that's who he is. And then he goes on to say, who brought you out of Egypt, out of bondage. How long were the children of Israel or the Israelites in bondage? I'm going to say it was about 400 years. You all can correct me afterwards, just not right now. But... If I remember correctly, it was not just a few years. We're talking centuries that they were in bondage. And God says, I'm the one who brought you out of that. Now, when you think about that statement, there's a lot in there. Okay, you think about, I'm the one who brought you out of bondage. Okay, what did God do to bring them out of bondage? What comes to my mind is, is our, like all the, the plagues Remember, God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. He said, you need to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And I'm going to do wonders and signs, and eventually he's going to let you go. But all the plagues that the Israelites, that the Egyptians saw, but specifically God's people. You think about the blood, the Nile River being turned into blood. You think about the frogs that covered the land of Egypt. Gnats, all the dust in all of Egypt turned into gnats. The flies, all the flies filled the houses in all the land of Egypt. You know, I was thinking about that. I bet you like flies, they flew into their mouths. Isn't that gross? That ever happened to you? I bet you it happened. They were all in their ears and anyway, filled with flies like crazy. The fifth plague, all the livestock of the Egyptians died. Now, these are just not normal things that happen. These are supernatural things. Boils was the sixth plague. All the Egyptians would get boils. Hail fell on all and killed everything. The locusts went and ate all the things growing in the, in the fields. The ninth thing that happened was darkness for three days. Imagine this. No flashlight, no candle was going to do you any good. You were in complete darkness for three days. And then the last plague, God would kill the firstborn of all of the Egyptians. And that's where the Israelites experienced the Passover. Where they were to kill and sacrifice an innocent lamb, wipe the doorposts with the blood of that lamb. And then the angel of death would then pass over that household and would not kill the firstborn of that. You think about all of that, you think about when they're fleeing, when they're leaving Egypt and Pharaoh and all of, all of his people, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's telling the, the Israelites, get out of here. You want our gold, you want our silver, you want everything, please take it and just leave already. Because this God of yours, if we don't let you go, is going to kill us. They leave, and remember, they're at the Red Sea, and what does Pharaoh decide to do? He, he pursues them with his armies. Then the Israelites, now I don't know about you, but I've never seen this before. A pillar of fire, right? You remember? Comes and stands between the Israelites and Pharaoh's army. God then would part the Red Sea. The Israelites would walk through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army would come try to go and cross the Red Sea, but then God would kill them by uh, allowing the waters to fall on them. You think, these are not everyday things. God is saying, I am the one who did that. I, the one who am speaking, that was me. If you were to look at 
uh, chapter 19 of Exodus. And you know what? Let's just look at a few verses there. Starting in verse 18, when God is giving them these commandments, look at the setting there. It says, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. What's happening there is God is giving the Israelites the Ten Commandments. They hear God speaking there's thunderings, there's, the, the mountain is on fire like a furnace, there's clouds, there's smoke. It's quaking. Turn to chapter 20 and look at the response in verse 18 again. Exodus 20, 18. After they experienced this awesome uh, Shekinah glory of God, look at what they said. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, I think they trembled when they said this. You, Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. No other God, lowercase g, can do any of this. So God is making it clear to them, I am the one who has done all these things. Okay, this is, this is me, this is who I am. You've witnessed my power. Now, understand, I'm giving you this command. So now, uh, verse 3, he tells them, you shall have no other gods before me. So first of all, we see who's speaking and now he's saying, he's telling us, he's telling Moses, there are no others like me. There are no other gods. Now, granted, think about this. Everybody in this world is a worshiper of something, aren't they? You're either worshiping the one and true, the one and only mighty God, or you are worshiping something or someone else. But God here plainly says, there are no other gods. You're to have no other gods before me. The Amplified Version puts it like this. You shall have no other gods before or besides me. Think about the Egyptians and all the gods that they had. You think about the nations all around them and, and the idols and the gods that they prayed to. But what God is saying is God must be given absolute priority. You know, this command eliminates a few things. First of all, it eliminates the idea of atheism, obviously, right? Atheism is a belief that God does not exist. You know what? God does exist. There is a God. There is one mighty God, one who is eternal, one who is infinite, who has no limits and has no bounds, and that is the God of the Bible, that is Jesus Christ, okay? So it eliminates atheism. This also, second of all, eliminates polytheism. Now, poly simply means many, okay? So it eliminates the idea of there being multiple or many gods. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a list that I was looking at, and... Um, Let's see, there's the God referred to as Baal. He was the God of power, apparently. Astrith was the goddess of sensuality or pleasure. Mammon was the God of money or the God of prosperity. Moloch was the God of practicality. And to earn Moloch's blessing upon a new business, the worshiper would place his firstborn in an earthen jar and build the walls of his shop around it, believing that the baby entombed within the wall wasn't really dead, but would appear in his next child. And the list can go on and on. It's gross. But before me, God says, there are no others. Unfortunately, Israel would fall into that sin of 
worshiping other gods. And guess what it led to? It would result in the Israelites being exiled to Assyria and then to Babylonia. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 is known as the Shema. When a person, a, a child learned how to speak, as soon as they learned how to speak, like before they said Dada and Mama. No, not, not before that. But when they learned how to speak, they memorized the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And so throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament especially, it is declared that there is one God. There are not many. So it eliminates polytheism. One more thing. This isn't a, an exhaustive list. But that, commin, that command, it, eliminate, it eliminates syncretism. Now, syncretism is worshiping false gods and the Lord together as if they were equal. And understand, there is no equal. There is not even an opposite. The devil is not the opposite of God. He can't do the opposite of everything that God can do. Because the devil is not infinite. The devil is created. The devil is finite. He's limited. God has no one like him. He is unique. And so there are no other gods. The third thing I want to point out. The second command that we're going to look at in verse 4. It tells us how we are to worship and how we are not to worship. Look at verse 4 with me. The second command, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children's to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So, how are we to worship God? Well, first of all, we are not to make idols. We're not to worship any false god. We're not to make an object, carve an object to bow down and worship. A few verses, Isaiah 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock I know not one. No one can compare to God. One more verse concerning that. Habakkuk says this about idolatry. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies. That the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute or dumb idols. What profit is there? And you think about all of the false religions that bow down and worship an image, a statue, uh, what have you. That is, number one, we're not to do that. Now, something that I realized this week that I think I kind of knew, but I never really focused or thought about it much. Not only is that a way of idolatry, but here's another way of, of idolatry. We should not make an image... Of who we believe God is. Of what we believe he looks like. And then bow down to that thing. In the New Testament when men ask. What does God look like? Have you ever thought about that? What does God look like? The New Testament is clear. The New Testament would say look at Jesus Christ. He is the express image of God the Father. Listen to this. Matthew Henry said this. When they paid their devotion to the true God, they must not have any image before them for the directing, exciting, 
or assisting of their devotion. Though the worship was designed to terminate in God, it would not please him if it came to him through an image. Now think about that. There's nothing that we should make or fabricate even unto the true and mighty God to say, this is what he looks like. This is God. This is who we're going to pray to. This is what we're going to talk to. God says, no, don't do that. Don't make a carved image to worship it. Can really question, can anything really represent God? Can anything truly represent him and all of his qualities and all of his characteristics? No, there's nothing that could. So we shouldn't try. We shouldn't try to do that. Now, how are, do we, how are we to worship him not with idols, not with trying to make anything representing him, the true God, but we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. Remember Jesus said, said the woman, to the woman at the well, the time is coming, and it's, and it's here when the people, the true worshipers of God, will worship him in spirit and in truth, for God is looking for such as those The God of Sinai was invisible, and no attempt was to be made to represent him in any way. They were not to bow down to anything, any images. The worship of God must not be transformed from the realm of the spirit to that of the senses. Now, we read there in verses 5 and 6, talking about God's jealousy. God says, I'm a jealous God. God says, I'm going to visit the iniquity and, 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 if you will, judgment is going to come upon the children of those who do this to the third and the fourth generations. And what does that mean? God's jealousy reflects, it reflects a passionate concern for us to know and worship him as he truly is. Understand something. There is a right way to worship God and there is a wrong way, many wrong ways to worship God. And you and I should investigate, learn, study what those ways are, okay? The reference to punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, it reminds us that the consequences of a flawed understanding of God persist for generations. If we know and worship God in his spiritual nature, we protect our descendants from the sins and subsequent punishments, that grow wherever men fall to know and love the Lord. So when you study and you worship God in spirit and in truth, you are passing that on to your children and your grandchildren, and you are saving them from the judgments. Can you think of all the religions, any other religions, that practice this unfortunate error? Statues carved images, getting on their knees before them, praying to them, talking to them, asking them for help. It's unfortunate that they are doing that to a dumb idol, and can you imagine how offensive it is to God? Who can hear, the, who can hear those prayers But they're praying to the wrong thing. Don't be guilty of that. What are our false gods? Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, I I don't have to worry about that. I, I, I took all the idols out of my house when I became a Christian. Right? I came from such and such religion, and I tore those apart. Well, there are other idols that we can have in our lives, aren't there? We can have a false god, if you will, of money. We can have a false god of myself. I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what God has to say. We can have a false god of our image, our relationship. I remember when I was single, every girl I met, I wonder if she's going to be my wife. That consumed me. It was my god. Sports. Now, I'm telling you, I see the youth there every week, and we go through phases in numbers. And I, it's sad, but it's, it's life. But let me tell you what happens. 
our youth group is, is growing. Kids are, are learning. They're fellowshipping. But then sports comes along. And what happens? I don't have time for church. You know what? My son, my daughter has a talent. And I'm, I'm going to make sure they, that they take full advantage of that talent. And I'm going to pursue that for them. I'm going to spend every time just to make sure that they get that opportunity. And I'm telling you, I, I, don't, want, I, I don't know, that you, you need to pray to God and, and ask God for wisdom. But I'm telling you, the enemy is very tactful. The enemy, he's sneaky and he uses things that could be neutral to become a God against the almighty God. So it could be sports. It could be a hobby. It could be your phone or your electronics. You could be a world pleaser. In thinking about phones, I came across a story. Now, this apparently really happened. Um, I read of the case of a woman who was um, out in the wilderness and she went to an outhouse to go to the restroom. While she was in there, um, she was using her phone and she dropped her phone in such a way that she couldn't catch it And eventually the phone ended up through the seat down into the bottom of, you know, what was there. What ended up happening is she tried to use her dog's leash, first of all, to fish it out. It didn't work. Then she took apart the seat to make the opening bigger. And she tied the leash as a lifeline, if you will. And she tied the leash to something and she's holding onto this leash and reaching down into uh, this pit. And as she leaned deeper and deeper, well, what happened was the rig ended up giving way. And she plunged headfirst into the cesspool of the waste below. Thankfully, somehow, she found her phone in all that muck. I don't even, I'm, I'm going to stop imagining that. And she managed to dial 911 for help. It took two different fire departments considerable time to retrieve her. I wonder if it's good. Well, I don't know. The fire department medics cautioned her of her health risks and her exposure to contamination, but she declined treatment, opting to just go home in humiliation. Talk about gods. I wonder how many of us would have done the same thing. (laughs) I, I don't think I would have. I'd have been like, when I got home, honey, I'm sorry, I need, I'm getting a new phone, Right? But anything can, be, can become a false god. We are not to worship anything, any idol, any image. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to worship God today? And I'm going to end with this point. How are we to apply this today? How do we worship God considering this text today? Second Timothy, Paul told him in chapter 3, That in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And guess what? This is the world we live in right now. Paul said, this is what it's going to be like in the last days. And that, I believe, precisely describes our society right now. People who disobey their parents, kids who disobey disobey their parents, people who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
So what are we supposed to do, right? First Peter chapter 1 says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. So we're, we're to be holy. Now, trying to obey the Old Testament law in order to get to heaven is not going to work. That's not going to make you perfect. That's not going to make you righteous. It's only through Jesus that we can get to heaven. So does this mean we shouldn't care about the Ten Commandments? Does this mean we should only look at the New Testament and not the Old Testament? Certainly not. The commandments reveal God as a deeply moral and loving person. And how could we who claim to call him our father not try to be like him? And these commandments, they point the way to do that. And so we should care about the Ten Commandments. We should look and study the Old Testament. Because they're, they're giving us guidelines, telling us how to specifically uh, love God and live for him. Now, a few things to realize. First of all, when you think about how we, we are to do this today, we must realize, first of all, that there is a new covenant in Christ. There is now a new covenant in Christ. You know, salvation was never achieved by human effort or merit. It never was. Why? Because the law of God demands absolute perfection. Otherwise, it is a curse. Galatians 3 says, Cursed is anyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, perfection is the key. But who then can be perfect? Only Christ was sinless, and Christ alone has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so to become a child of God, all we need to do is trust in the work of Jesus, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. And the issue is really simple. You either trust in yourself and in your works, or you trust in Jesus and in what he has done as your only means towards salvation. John chapter 1 says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There is a new covenant in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, Jesus. Colossians chapter 2. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Jesus, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us. And he, Jesus, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Hey, it was a glorious thing that the children of Israel experienced the, the receiving of the Ten Commandments. It was a glorious thing that they saw God and, and they heard him speak. And it was glorious, but there's something now, a new glory. We're told we go from glory to glory. And there's this new glory. And this new glory is found in Jesus Christ. This new covenant is now found in Jesus Christ. The old covenant was, okay, you do these things to be righteous with me. The new covenant is, okay, you look to Christ who did all those things, place your faith and trust in him, and then you too will be righteous, just as he was. It's a new covenant. It's all through Jesus Christ. So consider that. The second thing to consider, we now have more revelation from God. You think about Moses and when he received the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel received the Ten Commandments. They knew God. They heard God. But we now have the rest of the Old Testament. We now have the New Testament. We've now learned God has revealed himself so much more, hasn't he? We now know that there is one God, but there are three persons. And we, we have this concept of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We look at the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see Jesus 
And we see him as God, as the Messiah, who was the express image of God. Jesus again said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. You're wondering what the Father is like? Look at me, Jesus would say. And Jesus made a lot of statements and did a lot of things claiming himself to be God. Now remember, there's only one God. Yet Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Many times Jesus would receive worship from people. And think about this. Not once did he ever tell them, hey, don't do that. You're only supposed to worship God. Jesus never did that. Which would mean that they were doing that and ultimately worshiping the one and only true God. It happened a couple of times. Jesus had healed a blind man. And after the blind man had received his sight, he was cast out. And it says this in John chapter 9. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when Jesus found him, he asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. I love how Jesus says, you have both seen him, and it is him who is talking with you. And then it says that that man said, Lord, I believe. And it says, and he worshipped him. All the other religions that say Jesus never claimed to be God, yet all of these examples, Jesus was God. He is God. He received worship. Thomas, when he saw him, he said to him, my Lord and my God. The last thing I want to bring to your attention is that everything, when, you're, when we're thinking about how we apply the Old Testament to our worship of God today, Everything in all of the scripture points to Jesus. Everything points to him. The Old Testament law, uh, the prophets, the sacrifices, the prophecies, all point to Jesus. The law was not given so that the Israelites, by keeping it, could attain righteousness. A righteous standing before God has always only been by faith. It is said about Abraham, he believed in the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. So why did God give Israel the law? You might be thinking, couldn't God, couldn't you have just given us the New Testament? Could we have just like skipped the Old Testament? Right? Well, why did he give us the law? A couple of reasons, again, not exhaustive. He gave us the law to reveal his glory and his holiness. When you consider the law, when you consider God's standards, you see that his standards are uniquely high above everything else. So it shows us his holiness, how God cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin separates an individual from God. And so it shows us that. Another thing, another reason that he would give us the law is it reveals to us our sinfulness. Have you kept all of the Ten Commandments? I bet you we've broken all of them. Remember, Jesus taught that it wasn't only an outward occasion of sin, but an inward thing of the heart. You look at a woman and lust after her. Jesus said you are guilty of adultery in your heart. You have anger in your heart towards an individual. Jesus said and you are guilty of murder in your heart. God looks not at the only at the outward. But at what's in your heart. And so when we look at the Old Testament. When we look at the Ten Commandments. You know what we learn? You know what we realize? I'm pathetic. God, there's no way I could ever make it to heaven. There's no way I could ever attain righteousness. I have blown it. Another reason God would, have, would give us the law is to prepare Israel for the coming of Christ. Because they had to get to a point where they realized there's, it's impossible. 
And they were given these prophecies of a Messiah who was going to come and save them. Who is going to change all things, right? Listen to what um, Galatians 3.24 says. It says, The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now, I learned that that word tutor, other translations use the word schoolmaster. Now, listen to what a, a schoolmaster was. The schoolmaster was a trained slave whose task it was to prepare the child for adult living. When the child matured and entered adulthood, he received his inheritance and no longer needed the schoolmaster or the tutor. And so Israel was in her spiritual childhood under the law, but this prepared her for the coming of Christ. I think that is so cool. The Old Testament was saying, no, don't do this, don't do this. Okay, now if you're doing this, you're separated from God. Okay, you need help. And let me tell you why you need help. And then we get the New Covenant, the New Testament. We get the Messiah. Jesus himself, when, when we ask that question, do we really need the Old Testament? Do we really consider the Old Testament law? Jesus said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill them. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, I'm jealous. I, I don't know. Would you rather have been alive when Jesus was walking the earth or now? I go back and forth because I'm like, it'd be, it would have been cool to see it, right? To hear his words, to, to see uh, the miracles, the feeling um, when, when he would speak. And you know, man, this is truth. To, to just witness that. But now we have the whole picture kind of thing. But uh, when I read verses like this, I, I get a little jealous. It says in Luke 24, Jesus is speaking to them and he says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And it says this, this is where I get jealous. And he, Jesus, opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And so when I read that, I say, God, would you open my understanding? It says, then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Jesus is saying all of these scriptures have been preparing you all for me. And so, in closing, just some things to consider. Just some things to consider. A couple questions. If God were asked about your worship, not your husbands, not your wives, not your kids, not your churches, if God were asked about your worship, what would he say? Is he your one and only God? That, that hurts me when I say it. Because I'm so guilty. I am guilty. And, though, and I'll confess it and I'll, and I'll say, God, you're the only true God. But then little things happen or this happens or that and I just get caught up. Another question. Like that woman with the phone. What has your God done for you? Because you have a God. And only you know what that is. You can ask God to show you, but think about it. 
Think about where you spend all your time, what you spend all your money on. Think about what you're consumed of thinking all the time. What has your God done for you? Jesus, oh, he's provided forgiveness, eternal life, liberty from the requirements of the Old Testament law. He's provided true love. But how about your other gods? What have they done for you? What have they done for you lately? Right? Everything else leads to destruction, chaos, disorder, unhappiness, unfulfillment. God is the one and only true God. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you tonight and we know, Lord, we believe that you are the one and only God. And Lord, it's, it's a simple concept for us because as we've studied your word, it's so evident. There is none like you. But Lord, we come to you tonight and we just, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our children, Lord, we, we want to ask that you reveal to us if we do have any other gods that are getting in the way. Lord, help us to be careful. Help us to consider where our time is spent. Lord, help us to remember who you are. And how just as you brought the Israelites out of bondage, out of slavery, God, you've done so much for us. Lord, apart from giving us eternal life and forgiveness, apart from removing our shame, Lord, all of the prayers that you answer, all of the times that you hear us, all of your promises that you're never going to leave us and you're never going to forsake us. God, there is no one like you. And so, Lord, would you please help us? Help us to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, our might, our energy. Lord, our money isn't our money, it's yours. The heartbeats, the breaths that we have, they're yours. And so, Lord, help us in this society in which we live to just worship you. And if you would just pray that prayer tonight, that, God, I want to worship you and you alone. Teach me and help me to do that. If you would sincerely pray that and you would look to Jesus, he is the answer to all of your problems. And so, Lord, go before us this week. Lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.